Welcome to the Kenmore Church Podcast. We are all about filling hearts and fueling mission. We hope this content builds your heart and mind and equips you to reveal Jesus in this season of your life. Well, good morning to you. Welcome to what is our last week, uh, God willing, for a long time where we only have an online service. From August 9, we branched back into live gatherings again. And we'll still be continuing uh, these online uh, services in a format, uh, but we won't be bringing you the format as a live stream from church. We're going to present a special service just for our online congregation that really fits the space that you're viewing that content from. What happens on Sunday at church is a non-downloadable experience. It's not something that we really want to say uh, you, you can just parachute into from a camera. It's, it's a, an event where you need to be there. So uh, we're looking forward to providing two full streams of content there, our online and our offline content. But we just want to continue now this whole conversation of what's next, because it's the ongoing continual question that so many of us are trying to navigate for different seasons of our life. And this week, we're looking at the whole idea of what is God calling me to do now? What's going to change about what I do? Rather than just pulling back, what if I want to push forward? What if I want to bring about a change in my life? And that can be one of the most frequently asked questions of God's people is, God, what do you want me to do next? And we've been using Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse 1, where it says, there's a time for everything and a season for every activity under the heavens. And so this season of going into something new can be one of those difficult to navigate times. We start asking questions like, God, what do you want me to do? Uh, is there a new vocational step I need to take? Is, is it time for me to in, be investing in a different fellowship, a church fellowship? Maybe there's new relationships that I need to be considering in my life. And so before we get too definitive, it's just good to know that we can put a framework around this, sort of a wireframe to say, how do I uh, put these questions into different categories? And so I want to talk about a, a three-tiered framework of the should, the could, and the call. And the should is really all about uh, what sort of things fit within the scope of a Christian life. And the could is more, more about what are the things that God's equipped me to do? What capacities do I have in this stage of my life that permit me to do certain things within that broader realm of what should be done? And we won't be talking into the calling aspect so much because that's a, a much more precise aspect. So the should and the could we're going to talk in today. So the should element, they're the things, they're the parts of life, the things that we should be involved with. For example, with a Christian, morality, for example, is a huge factor. We, we do what fits our moral grid. It narrows the scope of the options in our life. And so to understand what should be done in our life, the sort of broad direction that we can take, there are two great questions that we can ask. That's who am I and whose am I? And if we can square those two away, there's a, there's a lot in there that will constrain other options. We'll know what we're prepared to say no to, and then the list of things that we can say yes to. So in the who am I, there's a couple of things we can ask uh, or, or determine. We can say, well, who am I? I'm a Christian. First and foremost, I'm a Christian. And that determines morality. It can say all those things that a Christian shouldn't do, well, they're things that I shouldn't do either. And so I can determine the morality of the direction of my life. I can say I'm God's child, I'm God's heir. Um, that determines the priorities of my life. Morality is one thing, priority is something altogether different. But because of who I am, I can determine where I can legitimately put my focus. So that's who am I, but what about whose am I? This determines my obligations. Whose am I? Who do I belong to? Um, who am I connected to? Because our relationships, our family, our church, and, and this sort of thing, they bring with them obligations. We're not just 
uh, loan sharks. We're not just individuals, we're all connected to other people and that brings with it a sense of obligation. So whose am I? Well, first and foremost, we are God's. We belong to God. And therefore, I do with my life and I prioritize with my life that which uh, honors him. Romans uh, 14.8, Paul says, If we live, we live for the Lord. If we die, we die for the Lord. So whether we live or we die, we belong to the Lord. So that's the first part of the who's am I? I'm I'm God's. I belong to him. But secondly, I I also belong to my family, uh, to uh, mothers, fathers, brothers, sisters, kids. We have an obligation there. We can't just go off and do what suits us because what we do will affect all of them. And so when I look at what I should be doing with my life, I should be playing my role in my family. I also belong to the body of Christ. And in Galatians 6.10, Paul makes it very clear. He says, we belong to the family of believers. Uh, in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, Paul says, we belong to one another. We all have separate parts to play. And I may be a hand or an ear or a nose, but I only find the fulfillment of who I am as I am connected to other people. I belong to God's family. So those two questions, who am I and whose am I? They determine a lot of the preliminary foundation of what it means to say, God, what are you calling me to do in this next season of my life? So I can reflect on that and feel free to do that. And we'll put the notes for that in the, uh, the downloadable notes for this message. So let's go beyond the basics here. That, that really is the basic foundation. We should all be pretty much okay with that and just say, okay, let me put uh, those questions away now. I've squared that away. What about what could be done? And you'll find that when you've been through a season, as we've been discussing the last couple of weeks, a season of pulling back, a season of reforming your soul, what you'll find is you'll come out of that season with new convictions and new capacities to live. Because in that finding of freedom, suddenly we've broadened what's possible in our life because we have grown. The life around us may not have grown, but we have grown. And therefore, the eyes that we use to view out the perspective of life We see things differently now. We start to see new possibilities and so on. So we have new capacity. There comes with it, with this reformation of our soul, an awareness that I have more to contribute now. Small things don't get to me like they used to before. I have a margin. Um, The the things that used to affect me or offend me or, or take priority because I was feeling hurt and so on, they don't do it in the same way anymore because I have new capacity. I'm bigger than my current situation dictates. So I've been reformed in my soul, so my capacity has grown. But I will also come out, and this is key for today, I'll normally come out of that season with a new conviction. There are new things driving. Other things are more important now than they were before because I've lost old drives. I've dealt with stuff and I'm free now. So now I can run from conviction. Uh, I see more clearly what's acceptable in my life and what's unacceptable in my life. And I have a real sense too that I am responsible to contribute to those areas of my life from which my convictions tell me this is important. So conviction becomes huge. And conviction enables us to differentiate between what in my life is a tension that needs to be managed and what is a problem that needs to be solved. It's saying what what about my situation in my life uh, carries with it just a need to manage what's going on and what about my life is now looking very unacceptable because my capacity and my conviction tells me this is no longer the scenario for me. And this is the discomfort we feel when we begin to look at entering new seasons. And these tensions that we all manage, and we all have them, and human beings have an incredible capacity 
to manage residual tensions in their life. We do it through marriage and family and through our workplace and through our churches and so on. Um, but we need to begin to discern, uh, is this relationship hard or has it become toxic? Do I need to really recognize this tension that I've been managing, this tension is now unacceptable. Now I need to put this in the problem basket that needs to be addressed rather than a tension that needs to be managed. My local church, it can become a frustrating and, and if we're not careful, a very irrelevant environment for us where we can be fueling lots of time, but we end up thinking, man, I'm not helping. This is not bearing fruit. This I'm putting in all the effort, but it's literally killing me. And they're hard days for us to navigate as we do a bit of a reality check on the scenarios that we're living into. And so we've got to look at that. It could be your job. Um, it's, it's becoming debilitating. It's becoming a place where it's immoral and, and beyond the grid of your moral framework. And we have to say, is this a, a tension God's called me to manage? Or has this now become unacceptable for me? Because my convictions are clearer now. So now maybe it's time for me to disengage from one environment and into another. But if we have a lack of conviction, we end up feeling uninspired, we get depressed, we feel choiceless. It's really almost like a disempowered life. But once we have convictions and convictions drive us, all sorts of possibilities arise. We go, I'm just not prepared to live in that situation anymore. Now my conviction determines that is unacceptable. Now that's a problem to be solved and I'm entering into a whole new phase in my life. So when I've grown in, in character and capacity, uh, I see things more clearly. And so that becomes a very freeing part of our life and gives us permission to enter these new seasons. So defining for your situation what's acceptable or unacceptable helps differentiate between these tensions and these problems. Now, I'm not talking here about the entitled Karens of the world. You've probably heard that term a lot recently of, of the people who feel entitled just to complain about things and, and make that uh, voice very clearly. I'm, I'm talking about a different thing where we become prepared to say this relationship, uh, it's, it no longer fits who I am now. Um, it, it doesn't fit whose I am. And sometimes we have to decide that the past can no longer determine my future because the past isn't mine. Look what Paul says uh, in the Word of God in 1 Corinthians. He says, all things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death or the present or the future, all are yours. So you may not have picked up what Paul was saying there. He's saying the present's yours, the future's yours. Did you pick up what's not yours? The past. The past is not yours anymore. It belongs to God. And sometimes we need to realize the hard fact of that because uh, the pull is we've invested so much in our past and, and so it becomes hard for us to consider letting go of it. And yet the past that we've lived, we've lived for God. The things that we've done, we've done for God. That's his to steward. The past belongs to him. And so when we realize that, it gives us a little bit more permission to make those difficult decisions about entering new seasons in our life. But a new season of purpose uh, puts conviction over convenience. Conviction overrules convenience. Convenience provides us a lot of, lot of little reasons to stay put, lots of little reasons to never change. Convenience gives us, it's almost like that idol that we bow to. Uh, the, the new season is big and it's different and it has all sorts of promise, but convenience will say, oh, these are the reasons why I can't do that. And they're, they're small reasons. And, and that which is small ends up prohibiting us from that which is big. We can say things like it's harder to change jobs or, or learn a ministry or make new friends. And that's true. Um, we may even find ourselves saying, I'm willing to put up with all this because of all these other 
benefits. But all those other benefits, are they big or are they small? Are, are the small things, the, the less worthy things, are they prohibiting you now from picking up something far more worthy, even if it's undefined, that comes with your new season? By staying in these times where we're managing so much frustration because of the smaller payoffs, we find that fruit of our life is stunted for a long time. Um, we find ourselves complaining. Our, our soul begins to wither and, and atrophy away. And it's true what the saying says that all that's required for evil to prevail is for good people to do nothing. It's true. Our inaction sometimes enables that which needs to change. And so it's good, it's refreshing for us to reassess all these things and say, maybe it's time for a comprehensive new season in my life. My convictions now overrule convenience. So how do I know? We need to be very sober with this. We can't just jump from one thing to another because we're uncomfortable. How do we know whether we should stay or whether we should go? How do we know whether I've got a new season or I need to stay in the season I am and just recommit myself to that process? Am I living in a tension to be managed or have I got a problem now that needs to be solved? So let's look at a few reasons uh, for staying and to stay and find more freedom within the context that we have. And so I'll just list a few out of them and they'll be in your notes today as well. The first one is that there are issues with me. It's, it's not circumstances at all. The problem is with me and God's calling me to grow. Um, and before I can move on, I actually need to find more freedom. The problem is not the circumstance. The problem is how am I going? How am I processing? Uh, this uh, circumstance. The second one is um, I haven't given all uh, or the best of my heart and soul to where God's got me now. Sometimes huge things can change just by recommitting ourselves to the situation that God's got us in. And sometimes our frustration comes because we're simply not doing that. We're hedging our bets. We're holding back when God's asking us to invest fully where we are. Third one is there's a genuine possibility of significant change in the season where we are. This is particularly pertinent in uh, marriages or relationships where we're wondering, you know, do I, is this time for me to call a quit on this? And, but sometimes we just see a glimmer of repentance, a glimmer of humanity, a, a glimmer of a chance of change. And uh, when we see that, we need to do all we can with God's strength to honour the possibilities that come with that. Another one may be that the issues that I'm struggling with are actually quite small and insignificant. And at the end of the day, perhaps it's my attitude that's making them bigger. So we need to really have a fresh look at that, an objective look at that, take the emotion out of that and say, maybe it's not time to move on. Maybe it's time to stay put and just get myself together and recommit myself to a time of finding new freedom. But when is it a time to change season? How do I know it's time to move on to a, a, a different fellowship, for example, or a, a different job and vocation, a new set of relationships? How do I know? Well, as I've said, one of the major ones is that I have more capacity now. I have more conviction now. And you just get that sense. And it's a sense of optimism and brightness that says it's just simply time for me to move on. Uh, I can see no real sign that things are going to change in this instance and it's now unacceptable and now it's time to move on. Another one is that things that really should have changed around us in weeks uh, have not changed in years. And we can really see the trajectory of that whole uh, scenario that I'm in is really not going to change. And yet in the midst of that, I've changed. And so it's time to change seasons. We might find ourselves that the culture or the relationships or the activity or the place, whatever it is, begins to oppose my core values. My new convictions have come up uh, about who I am and, and whose I am. And so it makes it unacceptable to stay. We may even become guilty purely by association 
that by staying there begins to enable what we fundamentally disagree with. So now we're going to enter into a brief moment of reflection through a song and, and we're going to put these questions uh, like that up on screen for us to just think and reflect and meditate and try to perceive, is God calling me into a new season or do I need to commit to the place I am? So let's do that now. in the middle. 
So let's talk about committing to our convictions because sometimes our convictions can live and prosper really well exactly where we are. Um, a relationship that we're having that's known difficulty, we see those glimmers of, of humility and change and, and desire uh, to, to do better at what we're doing with each other. And so we can say, yeah, I need to, I need to invest in that space. Um, we might find that our workplace, for example, we, give, we decide to give our very best, even though we may feel in many ways that the environment doesn't deserve it. But we give our best anyway to honour God, to honour the people we're around. And we find, as so often does happen, that the whole environment, the whole atmosphere begins to change because someone's uh, determined in their own heart to be God's person in that place. And incredible atmospheric change can sort of happen there and then relationships lift and so on. So sometimes uh, living through our convictions can change the environment that we're in. But sometimes we do need to start afresh. And we can use it as an example, and I'd, I'd like to just because of the timeliness of this message where we're restarting live services next week, we can realise that our church at, at Kenmore was birthed of conviction. It was, it was birthed of a need to do something fresh. And what was happening before we started was there was a rising voice, and I'd had so many hundreds of conversations over a number of years of people calling for a reprioritization of how we do church and what really matters to good, uh, sincere Christian folk. And so for years, I, I was listening. For years, I heard the same heartbeat begin to come out. And, and I'd, I'd love to just share these with you again to remind you and, and maybe resonate with you and, and say, yeah, these things matter to me as well. Uh, because these are, these are the reasons we started this church. We didn't start just to have another church on the corner. We literally didn't need another church on the corner. But we did need to address issues that really matter. They were issues of connection. They were issues where people's hearts were saying, I, I need to be known. I need to know others. I need to be connected with people. I need to be connected with God. I need an environment that's uh, not just a, like a factory. It's a place where human beings can engage. It's not too big for that, that we can be known. And people notice when I'm there and when I'm not there. There was a sense of a, a desire, a deep desire, a cry for authenticity. And it was like, make it real for us. Give us substance. We don't just want to be talked at. We don't just want information. We want transformation. And that heartbeat began to came out more and more where God's people were saying, we need to experience God in a credible and a tangible way. We need the truth, but we need spirit as well. There was a cry that was generational. It was a desire that we needed whole person, whole of life discipleship from, from being kids to youth to young adults and so on in a way that prepares our kids for a secular and a cynical world. And then there was also this desire that we need to be multiplying. We can't just keep adding and getting bigger and bigger and bigger. We need to multiply ourselves. We need to disciple people who can build disciples. We need leaders who build leaders. We need churches that can plant churches. That we, we don't become enamored with a brand or, or a building or something like that, but we become enamored with kingdom. We can't be constrained again by buildings and budgets. There's got to be a scalability, a multiplicity about what we can do. And so when we began, that's what we committed to. That's what we're still committed to. It's a conviction. It's a need. This thing needs to happen. We need to change the way things are being done. And so we started a church that from the very moment we started, our first breath, we're talking about the fact that we're a church that plants. We plant teams. We plant churches. We plant resources into other churches. We give away all that we can. We don't hoard things to ourselves. We're a church that provides. We provide pathways of growth for people. We provide opportunities for people to contribute, that everyone can know I'm an important part of God's fellowship here. And we're also a church that protects. 
We protect that which is sacred. This generation that's coming up, there's a generation literally at stake for the kingdom right now. And the conviction for us all must be, I'm not doing this thing. I'm not coming to this thing because I'm a spectator. I'm here because of the conviction that I have that I can sow my life into the lives of other people. And by doing that, the ripples of that go through generations and generations. So we term the phrase that we're a church that's filling hearts and fueling missions, fueling mission. But without a laser-like focus, we drift into becoming a spectator sport. It's just a church, another church that we just turn up to. But we're not about that. And you need to understand that without intentional giving of energy and enthusiasm, this thing is not going to work. We need everybody with a heartbeat to put their heart into what God's doing here because there is just so much at stake. And we're fighting a growing tide of secularism out of there. And God's put us here. We're incredibly privileged to have the opportunity that we have, the people that have come, the place where we meet. It allows us to focus on what matters because I believe it matters and I believe God believes it matters as well. And he's put us here to fulfill that purpose. Because most of us have a, have a normal job. Most of us have normal lives. We can't all initiate some grand endeavor based on our convictions, but we can find one and we can, we can add to that with the impetus of our heart and our time and our resources to ensure that happens. And as we do, we come to life as well. Because we're a church that is literally fueled by conviction. So you can help that. You can help that by turning up at church. I can't, I can't highlight enough the difference it makes when God's people have enough enthusiasm to actually come together and be there, not just for themselves, but for the other people who come because it sends a value. This group is important. These people are important. And if we get casual about attendance, then our church becomes a casual church, but there's too much at stake to allow that to happen. We need you to continue, as we have been so faithfully, to give financially. And if God leads you to be able to give more, if you're not contributing financially to our church, and I don't nag about this sort of thing, but we need to understand we need more resources. We need more staff to staff for children, for youth, for all the things that really matter to us as a church. Uh, we can keep just ticking along or we can invest in those generations. And we can't do that until there's more resources for us to do it. We're really excited because uh, in a week or so, we're going to start off a Friday youth program. Uh, not long after that, we're going to have a Friday program for kids as well in the afternoons. So we're committed to sowing into that generation. But the more we can resource that, the more fruit that we can bear. So please, all I ask is that we pray and that God guides us as to what we give. Our giving has been so stable and so fantastic. I've got no complaints there. I don't want more from you. I'm wanting more for you. I'm wanting you to see that what you invest in life bears fruit of life in other people. So you can play your part in so many ways at our church, but what we've tried to do is consolidate that into six main areas. And there's a graphic on your screen now that shows you those different areas. There's the connection of new people. Uh, where we can help others join in through groups or through uh, just a welcome and a coffee and getting to know them. There's the raw ministry functions like the kids and the youth and the socials and all the things that we do as, in a programmatic sense. You can contribute to that in many different ways. There's leadership and the kingdom is always starving for people willing to put their hand to the plough to put a servant's towel over their arm and say, I'm prepared to lead. I'm not just going to do, I'm going to help and facilitate others to do. Leadership is such a huge part of our future. There's mobilization. There's a whole idea that we're going beyond our walls. We're filling your heart for sure. Why? To fuel your mission, to mobilize people, to get them out cross-culturally within our own culture, within our own community. We've got lots of ideas. We just need more legs on the ground and more horsepower to do that. There's development. 
Uh, development will always be a huge part of what we do at this church. We're a training and resourcing place. We fill your heart. That's what we do. And you can help in that. There's so many ways to help growing other people. And then finally, Sunday. Sundays will always be an important part of how churches operate. As long as it's possible that we can gather together, it's important that we do. Because when we get together, there's a synergy of faith where people can come in and, and something happens where God dwells in the midst of the praises of his people. We can pray for each other. We can connect and all those sorts of things that are valuable. You can't download that. You need to be there to experience that. So you can be a, a part of that, a huge part. Putting chairs out in the room, cleaning up afterwards. You're not just doing a mundane job there. You're building a cathedral of God's people. You're building a place that invites people. People will get saved because of the way we put chairs out. That's how important this sort of stuff is. Everything matters and we need every hand to the plough to help us. So please pray and, and there's a link on the screen now where you can just go there and, and just flag. Yeah, I'm available. I'm, I'm prepared to help in one of those six areas. So we'd really appreciate you doing that. Sometimes the blessings of God in our life, the greatest ones, can only come through doing. We just get to work. We just get started. We do what our life in the kingdom requires. There's no uh, passengers in the kingdom. It's not a spectator sport. We don't fulfill who we truly are until we're being and doing who we are. So what about you? What about your situation? Your situation probably is broader than mine. I'm, I'm restricted to the church space these days, but you've got family issues you're navigating, you've got work issues you're navigating, and all the complexities of that. I wonder if it's time for you to sow the very best of who you are into the current season or into a new season. Has the tensions of the frustration of your life really become to appear like, no, now they're a problem to be solved? Your conviction and your capacity now determines this situation is now unacceptable. Is it time for your conviction to overrule convenience? Every new season requires an element of courage. I love what FDR said, the, the, one of the greatest presidents of the United States. He said, courage is not the absence of fear, but the assessment that something else is more important than fear. See, courage comes from conviction. Conviction helps me determine this is an unacceptable situation. And courage then says, I'm going to address that and overcome whatever fears would get in the way of that. So as we enter into a confused new world, I just pray that you'll be crystal clear about what matters to you. I pray that you would put legs on that and get to work. That really wraps up our today's service. So uh, we're looking forward to meeting in person from next week. We'll also continue, as I've said, our online services as well. So please be a part of that. Can't wait to see you all again and share a coffee together and just be able to stand around in the sun. And, uh, and meet each other again. Don't forget to uh, go online and download the uh, downloadable resources and watch the video for the application content of today's message where we begin to land that a little bit better. So bless you, looking forward to seeing you very soon and uh, we'll see you next week. Bye now.